1420 WBSN presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. Tim Weisberg here, Matt Costa, and science advisor Matt Moniz are alongside, making sure that uh, I don't get out of control behind the microphone here, because who knows, once the airwaves are activated and that signal is going out, who knows what I'm capable of. You guys did a pretty good job of restraining me. I have to say, I'm impressed. You're a big guy, too. It's not easy. Yeah, well, I mean, physically restraining me, no. that That's impossible. Yeah, that's that's the extended mix of the Spooky South Coast theme, for those who haven't heard it. It's actually my cell phone ring, which, uh, through the magic of uh, Matt Costa's production skills, the silent assassin created a, a Spooky South Coast ringtone for my phone. So we would make it available for sale, except uh, we're not exactly sure if it would work on everybody's phones. And and you got to get that high-tech stuff like we have. That's right. So... What did I say? What did I say, Matt Costa, to you earlier this week when we were uh, listening to last week's show interview? I said, don't let me ramble on at the top of the show because you can just hear radios clicking off all over the South Coast right now. Yeah, but I enjoy it. Well, that's true. I love it when you ramble. But you listen to me ramble all the time. Uh, you know, for those that don't know, like Matt Costa and I, were like we work together at our, at our regular normal daytime job. Or one of my regular normal daytime jobs. Well, like superheroes. Yeah. Well, and we're, like we're we're constantly together, so it's like he's got to listen to me all the time. And then for two hours on a Saturday night, he has to listen to me talk almost exclusively. It's like I don't shut up for two hours. So that's why we need you to call in and to break it up. Our number is five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred. And of course, you can go on to our website spookysouthcoast.com where you can click on the message board, go to the live show chat room, and you can post up some questions and thoughts and theories, anything to do with the paranormal. We're also working on a few new possibilities. Uh, we are still working on the live streaming issue. Again, if you want to call WBSM during the week and let them know that you would like to have Spooky South Coast stream live so that you can listen to it from wherever you are. Uh, I'm not going to give out the phone number because I'm not going to champion my own cause here on the radio. But let's just say if you go to WBSM.com, you can find out that information. Also, another thing that we're working on uh, through our friends at the Spirited Society and the Spirit Society, of course, and Eagles Angel is a, a regular caller and listener. Hello to you tonight. I know you're listening now. We're working on uh, the possibility of a live chat going on during the course of the show so that you don't have to post it up on the message board and we don't have to keep hitting refresh and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and and that might be the way that we go with this live stream uh, due to something that I just found out recently. So no promises yet, but we will uh, get into all of that at a later date. But tonight we have a terrific show for you because we have going to be joining us in just a little bit because he's watching the end of the World Cup. Jeff Belanger, he is a noted author of books like The World's Most Haunted Places, Communicating with the Dead, The Encyclopedia of Haunted Places, and The Nightmare Encyclopedia. He's going to join us to talk about his new book, Our Haunted Lives, True Life Ghost Encounters, as well as a whole bunch of other paranormal topics. And, of course, those of you who don't know Jeff's books, I'm sure that you know his website, ghostvillage.com. He is probably the go-to destination 
for all things haunted, for all things paranormal uh, on the Internet. I mean, if you go to his site now, which, uh, you know, we, we suggest that you do, he has articles up that he's written, interviews he's done with all of the biggest names in paranormal research, uh, John Zaffis, George Lutz. Uh, all, I mean, really, it's, it's, it's just a database of information. And then in addition, he has a, a message board where, uh, you know, you never know who's going to go on there. I mean, there could be, you know, some of these noted authors themselves in there, uh, you know, people from paranormal television shows. It really is just like a who's who, a who's who and a centering point for the for the ghost community. It's uh, yeah, there's some evidence. Matt Koss is checking it out as we talk uh, as we speak. He's got some evidence up there. Jeff does. He has uh, links to other books. And you know what I like about Jeff, too, is he sells his own books through his website. So if you'd like to get some of his books, and, and we recommend them, you can do so on his site. He sells autographed copies of them there, but he also puts a note right there that says, you know, if you go to Amazon.com or, you know, a different website uh, for, for book selling, you can probably get it cheaper than this. So <laughs> it's good that he puts that up there, but we, we recommend that you get the autographed copy because uh, you definitely want to get Jeff's uh, signature on the book. So we will talk with him about... All kinds of ghostly happenings, and of course, again, we want to hear from you. you your questions for Jeff, your, just your general stories about the paranormal, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Last week, we talked to a whole variety of paranormal magazines, and hopefully you had a chance to check some of them out. Uh, Fate Magazine, Ghost Magazine, the Taps Paramag, Scars Magazine. We have to uh, put out a clarification that that has not hit the newsstand yet, but it will soon. Uh, also, uh, Unexplained Paranormal Magazine, uh, our friend Rose's magazine, I guess the initial printing that she had put together, her demand far out, uh, far exceeded uh, the actual printed copies that she had. So she's working on getting some more out there. She's going to be sending us a copy. And then uh, she's, she's already increasing the uh, production count for the August issue. So, again, that's unexplainedmag.com if you want to check that out. And uh, speaking of, of Rose, uh, we, we first encountered her through the wonders of MySpace. And uh, we recently broke the 200-friend mark on MySpace, so we actually feel like people like us. You don't understand. I mean, we're the, ones, we're, we're the people that have been kicked around our whole... No, I'm not going to get into all that. But uh, if you go to myspace.com slash bookiesouthcoast, we're trying to build our own little uh, database of... You know, the different paranormal people that are on, well, not paranormal people, but paranormal researchers, investigators, people interested in the subject matter that are on MySpace. So there you have it. Matt Cossie, you have anything to add to that? You're awfully quiet over there. I'm awfully quiet. I'm always quiet. <laughs> I know. You know what we didn't get to talk about last month, and that is the uh, new July Costa's Crypto Creature of the Month on our message board. Who is the Crypto Creature of the Month this month? It's the uh, Lake Champlain Monster, Champ. Champ, the Lake Champlain monster, and they also have uh, they, they really celebrate uh, Champ out there. They they have uh, a minor league baseball team that has him as their mascot. They have uh, some sort of festival for them as well. Is that true? Correct. So I mean, it, it really is like something that's really taken hold of a whole area. I mean, some of these uh, things. By the way, that reminds me. I, I'll tell you a story in a moment. But I mean, it, it, as, as they have these paranormal happenings in cities like the Mothman mm -hmm. down in West Virginia or the Bigfoot festivals that they have in different cities. You know, it's nice to see that they embrace it. Sure, it's kitsch value. Sure, it sells, tour uh, sells you know, stuff to the tourists. But it's nice that they can embrace it because it makes it, at least for those couple of days a year, okay to talk about it and okay to really be interested in it. 
Now, I want to tell that other story I was referencing, because I haven't had a chance to tell you guys this yet. The other night, I was sitting in my, I think we were in the kitchen of my house, and uh, both mats have been in my home. It's very small, and the kitchen windows look out into the backyard. It was probably twilight time, maybe a little bit before the sun had gone fully down. All of a sudden, my neighbor just comes bombing through my yard with his dog on a leash, and they're chasing something. And my wife said that it was a small, hairless creature that was running across. Now, I haven't asked my neighbor about it yet because I don't know how to approach the subject. A chupacabra? That was my original, that was what I first, she said it was running on all fours and that it was hairless. And that it was taking off like a bat out of hell and the dog was chasing after it and that my neighbor could hardly keep up. So my first thought was chupacabra because my first thought would have been an armadillo. Just because I would love to have an armadillo in my yard. But I know that they're not really indigenous to this area. So, of course, chupacabras, you know, hey, whatever. That's a logical logical uh, j- jump there. So I, I think that might have been what it was. I'm going to start poking around in the yard and, and, and seeing if I can find any chupacabra tracks and, you know, uh, any you know dismembered cattle or something in the area. So uh, we'll, we'll keep everybody up to date. But really, I mean... Cattle mutilations. Hmm. <laughs> that reminds me of something I was just uh, reading. Uh, there was a report that put out by a good friend of mine, Dr. W.C. Levengood at Pinelandia Laboratories. Uh, he's been the one that's been pioneering a lot of the uh, studies on crop circles and doing tests on uh, residues found on cattle mutilations. I had been working with uh, Lefty, well, since the early 90s, I replicated a lot of his work in crop circles stuff. But uh, they've recently discovered that pure hemoglobin is found at the incision wounds of uh, most of these cattle mutilations. So, and that would... that uh, Getting pure hemoglobin is, uh, is a laboratory process. That's not something you do out in the field. Because you have to separate all the other elements oh, of the correct. blood, the oxygenation. And, 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 and basically... Uh, why don't you walk through, for the listeners, the process of, of separating the hemoglobin out? I mean, All right. There are the two main parts to blood are obviously the plasma, which is a matrix liquid that, that the hemoglobin or the red blood cells uh, float in. Now, the hemoglobin itself is mainly an iron atom, which is what's used in our respiration. It exchanges uh, oxygen and carbon dioxide. Uh, Getting the pure hemoglobin out, you have to extract it either using a centrifuge or, in some cases, uh, uh, there are these electromagnetic coils that can extract the hemoglobin out, uh, and that requires a lot of energy to do, obviously. So uh, it's definitely a, a breakthrough if they can find that on the yeah. on these mutilated animals. Well, it definitely rules out cults. And also, uh, has there been any testing done on the uh, the half cats? Uh, yes, that it's not just like I said; it's almost all the mutilation cases they're finding. So it's not just the cattle; it's it's every yeah. And for those who are unfamiliar with what we are speaking of, and you know, if you're into the stuff that we talk about every week, how can you not be familiar with it? Because it is a strange story that's been going on for a number of years. We're talking about the cattle mutilations, the cat mutilations that are happening all over the world. Now, I don't think, at least in my readings and my awareness of the world, I don't think there's any one cult that is in so many different places on the earth to be present where a lot of this stuff has happened. I mean, I know they are concentrated in certain areas, but you will see a cattle mutilation take place in 
New Mexico, Arizona, you know, those areas, Texas, where it's very prevalent. But then there will also be a similar one in England that happens the same way. They happen relatively the same anywhere around the world, anywhere that there's animals. And, and these cats especially, it's a lot easier. See, if you're going to look at a photograph of a bovine, it's a pretty large animal, and it's hard to see you know, exactly what it is that we're talking about. But if you want to look at a photograph, I suggest you go to Linda Moltenhouse website, earthfiles.com, and you can see some of these, the half cats, cats that have literally, literally been severed in half with surgical precision. Some of the other stuff that was on our site was pretty interesting. The um, pictures of animals being levitated into the sky. Well, those those were just cool. Whether whether they're <laughs> legitimate or not, those are just cool. I uh, we're going to get into nightmares a little bit with Jeff Belanger uh, later on, uh, but I used to have a a dream, a nightmare when I was a kid about a horse flying through the sky. Pegasus. No, it wasn't a Pegasus. It was like a, a a horse just like caught up in the wind or something, and and taken off. And it's something that kind of stuck in my mind, and it was a, a frequent occurrence in my dreams. And when I saw those photographs, that's the first thing that popped into my head was. Whoa. It's like exact it's the horse of my dreams. Technically wouldn't that be a nightmare? Well, literally and for, That's actually that's, where the name comes from. Well that's one of the things I want to get into with Jeff because you know, we have him on shock about his great new book, Our Haunted Lives, True Life Ghost Encounters, which uh, you can pick up at bookstores and on Jeff's site ghostvillage dot com. But I definitely want to get into a, into it with him on nightmares because that's a subject that just fascinates me. And, uh, of course, so much of the stuff that goes on when we sleep is directly related to the paranormal. So we will talk about that. Uh, so we want to remind you, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. If you would like to call in, speak with us, speak with Jeff, uh, ask him some questions. Maybe as the conversation is going on, one might pop into your head and you can't get to the phone. Go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the message board. We have a live chat room going on right there, and you can drop in your questions. Matt Costa is online right now waiting for it. You'll know it's him because it's Mickey Mouse throwing up all over the place. That's his avatar. So we'll be right back with Jeff Belanger here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Back in here on Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg, Matt Costa behind the boards, Matt Moniz behind the science of it all. And we're here to talk to you about all things paranormal. We welcome your calls, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, and of course, on our message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. And also, you want to check out another great website, GhostVillage.com, as we said earlier in the show. Definitely check it out during the course of this interview because it'll be a great reference point for a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about because it's a great reference point for a lot of the things related to ghosts and hauntings. Because our guest tonight is Jeff Belanger. He is the author of books such as The World's Most Haunted Places, Communicating with the Dead, The Encyclopedia of Haunted Places, and The Nightmare Encyclopedia. His new book is Our Haunted Lives, True Life Ghost Encounters. And uh, he is a, a Massachusetts resident, so he knows... All about the local hauntings, all the local happenings, some of the strange stuff that happens, uh, you know, within our borders as well as uh, New England through a whole. So, Jeff, good evening. How are you tonight? Hey, 
guys. It's great to be with you. All right. It's great to have you. It's a, it's an honor to have the, the head of the Ghost Village. What, what exactly are you? Are you the mayor of Ghost Village? <laughs> head muckety-muck and chief janitor. Well, that's is, uh, is what it says on my uh, business card. That goes without saying, right? I take the trash out. No, no, yeah, it's uh, I founded it back in 1999, and it's just grown leaps and bounds. It's, it's been wonderful just to have a place where the whole community can come together, where we can you know talk about programs like your like yours, uh, and and just things that are going on that help promote the discussion of the paranormal, which I'm a big fan of. Now, what happened first? Were you an author first that started this website, or did you start the website and that led to the writing of the books? Actually, uh, I was a journalist first, like you. I, uh, I worked for a newspaper, and you know what happens around Halloween. Uh, you know, you go looking for the local haunted interest stories, and I really got hooked on those. I, uh, I, I, I used to work for a newspaper in Connecticut and just really was, was into that. I, I actually grew up next to uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Oh, yes. Yeah, I grew up in the town next to them, so I've known them since I was 10 years old, and, and you know, and I had friends who claimed to live in haunted houses from a young age, so I've really been interested my whole life. But as a journalist, I really got into not only researching the history, but interviewing the, the witnesses, interviewing the people who had experiences at these reportedly haunted places, and started writing about it that way. And uh, one of the newspapers, this was in the early days of the web, uh, put up some of my articles and said, you know, you're, you're two ghost articles get more hits than anything else on our website. And, uh, and sadly, that newspaper went out of business. And um, I said, well, you know, can I take the articles back? They said, sure, they're all yours. And at the same time, I wanted to learn how to, how to do websites myself. So I put up a little six-page website that had two of those articles. And I said, you know, send me your ghost stories. Tell me about your own ghost encounters. And, uh, and it grew from there. And from writing about it steadily on the website, then I became, uh, became an author. But I was always a writer first. That's uh, always closest to my heart. And when you were writing these stories for the newspapers, uh, were, were you fortunate enough to have uh, editors that would tell you to write the story, you know, with a, with a news tone to it? Or did you have to do the, you know, like we read all the time around Halloween, the, oh, hey, the old graveyard supposedly haunted. Let's go see what people think. Well, you know, in, in journalism sometimes, uh, you don't have to take an angle. As long as someone's willing to go on the record uh, with something profound, I mean, it, it can't be. Some, a lot of this experience, it really can't be quantified. I mean, if someone says to you, I saw a ghost pass by the window and I recognized it as, you know, that of Abraham Lincoln who once lived here, you know, a century and a half ago, if, if you weren't there and no one else was there to back that up, uh, you can't call the person a liar. And if they're willing to go on the record, you know, give their name and say, this is what I saw. I can't tell you if it was a ghost or someone playing a very elaborate hoax, but that's what I saw. To me, that's that's compelling, and that's what's interesting. So uh, back then, I wasn't interested in just legends. If it was just, oh, I've heard this building's haunted, well, that's I mean, that's a good lead. But I wanted to find someone who saw something. And so that's... Uh, that's what I've been chasing after ever since because, you know, folklore plays a big part of this, this research. And when you hear, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, and it could go on forever, you know. Uh, heard a ghost of a, a white lady comes, you know, floating through the street at this time of night every month. Well, that's, that's great, and it's a good lead, but I want to talk to someone who's actually seen it. And uh, that's, that's what's driven me ever since. And the reason why I bring it up, though, is because when I read your articles on the website, uh, it seems like you take a very factual, very news tone to it, but at the same time, you're interjecting a lot of your personality and your, your personal way of getting this information across. So you can read it and know that you're reading you know, you know, something that's 
for as much as it can be factual. Right. But at the same time, you know, it keeps that perspective of, hey, it is the unknown. We don't know what's going on. So let's just take this information that we get and, and use it for what it's worth. You know, I think that's that's all you can do in this field. I'm I'm very leery. I'm leery of people who will believe anything, and I'm leery of people who will believe nothing, um, which are obviously the two extremes that I'm sure you've encountered in your in in doing this research too. Um, it, it, both are dangerous. <laughs> uh, but what you what you can do if you can just break it down to facts. If you know for a fact someone died in a location, if you know a battle took place on these grounds, indisputable facts. That interests me. And if we can find multiple witnesses who don't know each other, have no vested interest in, in the property or location, have nothing to gain and arguably only something to lose by coming forward and sharing this story, uh, but they're still willing to share it because, by gum, they saw it and, and this is what happened, uh, that I think we have to take seriously. We have to take that as something more significant, something that's uh, worth looking into a little further. And I think that's what the ghost experience is all about. I accept that one possible one possibility is that it's a hallucination. It's someone either wanting to see something or, or maybe, you know, thought they saw something or tricked themselves. Mm-hmm. I accept that's a possibility, but I also accept a lot of other possibilities that, you know, certainly deserve some exploring. Well, you have to. And as one of the, you know, the quote-unquote paranormal pioneers of the Internet, uh, when you when you first put the website up and were asking people to send in their personal stories, uh, did you get mostly the ridiculous? I mean, how hard was it to start getting uh, compelling stories that seemed like they had a bit of truth to them? Well, you know, it was when I first put that up. I said, you know, send us your own experiences. We were getting something sent in about every six to eight weeks. Someone would send something in. You know, it was a small website, a few pages. It was back in nineteen ninety nine, and uh, you know. It, if it was just completely, you know, it's the smell test. As, but at the same time, if someone's willing to put their name on it, I, I generally put it up. Today, we literally receive one about every six to eight hours. Uh, I'll get three or four in a day that, that come in. And, uh, again, I'm, I'm looking for credibility. I'm looking for people that, that took the time to write down the details of what they experienced, where they experienced it. Uh, how it affected them. That's that's interesting to me, too. Uh, it's, I don't want to just, you know, this this is a very emotional uh, and spiritual course of study as well. And if someone had one of these experiences, it's really life-changing, you know, because for that person, for that individual, the big question of is there life after death is answered forever. I mean, if you see what you perceive to be a ghost or a spirit, that big question's answered for you. It doesn't matter what any religion says. It doesn't matter, matter what anyone says. You know what you saw, you know what you experienced, and your life will be different forever. And and that's what I'm looking for, not not just the facts, but also how it affects the, the, the living, how it affects the people who have this experience, because that gets that gets down to the big questions, uh, you know, the, the part that makes us all tick. And so, uh, you know, today, that's what I'm looking for when people are sending me their experiences. They don't all go up anymore. At one time, they probably did, because there were so few, but... Uh, you know, the website grew from six pages to 30,000, you know, and, and literally, I mean, it just uh, it grew and grew and grew. So uh, I guess we're doing something right. Well, the, the problem with that, though, is, like you said, you know, it solves the big question for them of what happens after we die. But then at the same time, as soon as you make that discovery and you feel content with the answer to that question, it starts opening up all other questions like, you know, why don't we know this? Why don't we understand this? Why isn't science recognizing this? And it seems like uh, 
site such as yours brings all that information out there and makes it to the point where eventually it's going to have to be recognized. I, I think it's important just to, to, to document this stuff. You know, if ghost, the ghost experience for the longest time was really spread by word of mouth. It was, it was folklore. It was the kind of thing where, you know, you, you told someone you trusted, and they may have told one or two other people because it was a good story. If you and, said anything at all. That's right, right. And, and, uh, and so, so we have lots of lore. We have lots of, and I'm not saying folklore is not a valid form of communication. It absolutely is. It's important. It's, it's valid. And from where I'm sitting, it's a wonderful starting point. It's a great place to get leads. But like I said, uh, I want to go to these locations and talk to someone that's still experiencing something. But what I'm trying to do, not just in my books and in my writing and in the website, but and, and even with shows like yours, when someone comes on the air and says, this is what I saw, I was in this town, it was this time of day, this is what I experienced, they're going on record uh, in some way. And I think that's so important because, you know, down the road when, when people start looking at this a little more seriously, when parapsychology uh, is no longer the redheaded stepchild of psychology. Uh, you know, when, when it gains some legitimacy, these are the kind of things that that they're gonna they're gonna be working from because it's it's data, if nothing else, it's people on the record with their experiences. So that's, I think it's important work. And how important is it to you to experience the paranormal for yourself? I haven't yet. <laughs> Believe it or not, I have yet to have what I would consider a uh, an absolute bona fide ghost experience. I think I've come close. I've had feelings I can't account for. I've had experiences I can't account for. Um, one example was I was in the catacombs of Paris, which is uh, about 30 meters below the city in limestone quarries. And it's very quiet and it's very dark and very dim. And I was down there completely alone with six million human skeletons, which can certainly give one the heebie-jeebies. But uh, I was walking through and I kept seeing a darting shadow. Now, keep in mind, this tunnel... Uh, I'm six foot two. There were plenty of spots where I had to duck to, to continue to walk. And if I stretched my arms out in both directions, my fingertips would just about be touching skeletons on both sides. So that's how that's how small the, the, the passageway was. And to see a darting shadow, I know it wasn't me casting it, and it couldn't have been an animal because an animal big enough to cast a shadow that size, I would have seen the animal. Mm-hmm. It, there was no place for it to come in and go without me seeing it. So... But I'm not ready to make the leap on that one, although I would say that's the closest I've come. I, I, I think it's probably important, at least for the time being, um, I can remain objective because I'm, I'm absolutely open to the experience. I would love to experience it one day. But uh, until then, it, 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 keeps my, it keeps my degree of skepticism up, too, because I recognize that uh, if this is happening, it is very rare. And uh, I'm always interested when people say, yeah, I see something every day because, boy, <laughs> That must be something. Well, what would qualify to you as proof? Would it have to be a, a full apparition, uh, or would, do you take, uh, you know, EVPs or, or orb photography or any of the stuff that's uh, popular now? Uh, how much of that do you think is legitimate proof of existence of ghosts? I, I think I think orb photography. I don't personally put any stock in. Uh, I, I I actually am a big fan of orbs because. I think it gets people interested in this field. And if that's the, the gateway that gets you in and asking more questions and, and doing more research, wonderful. I applaud orbs. I thank orbs. But I've, had, I've heard too many good explanations of what can cause them from Kodak, <laughs> from Olympus, from photography experts, all of which I've, I've gone to and said, how do these happen? Please explain them to me. Uh, I went to Olympus with a, with a photo, and I said, listen, 
um, I'm, a, I'm taking a photo with one of your cameras. I'm getting these things. I don't want them in my picture. I just want pictures of my family and birthday cakes. What's causing them? I didn't ask them to comment on ghosts or not on ghosts, and I got really good explanations. However, I have learned over the years that uh, some people believe that these are actual spirits or, or signs of ghosts, and I wouldn't deny that, but I always get uncomfortable when people come up to me at conferences and things with uh, with orb photos and say, hey, what do you think this is? Because I used to say, you know, gee, a dust, lens flare, there's lots of things that cause these that are perfectly a, a normal glitch with, with your average everyday digital camera and even film cameras sometimes. And, uh, I, you know, they'd shoot back, you insensitive jerk, that's my Uncle Larry, can't you see that? <laughs> and I'd say, oh, yeah, well, you know, now that you now say that, it, yeah. yeah, I guess that is Uncle Larry. So I've, I've learned to kind of shut up about them. Um, and, and the reason I, and one reason I don't fully discount all orbs is that I know people who have seen uh, glowing balls with their naked eye. They've watched them hover through a room. And so if one has seen them, I assume one could also take a picture of them. Oh, absolutely. So um, so I don't totally discount it altogether, but I do, and I, you know, but that, that's my feeling. That Now, EVP, I think, is very compelling. That that interests me, especially when it's a, a direct response, when it's crystal clear, when it's what people refer to as Class A EVPs, meaning, uh, you know, you could play it independently for ten different people, and ten different people would tell you it says the exact same thing. That interests me, especially when it's in the context of a discussion that a researcher's having, uh, you know, things like that. Well, uh, we've been I, lucky enough to capture a couple of those, actually. It, it's, a, it's amazing. And, and I tell people, you know, who, who might be doubting, you know, the existence of this stuff, try it. It's not expensive, <laughs> you know. The, the equipment is, is very inexpensive. Oh, $30, $30 if you want a digital, 20 if you want an analog. That's right. That's, a, that's a, again, yeah, right. It's, it's cheap. And not only that, you may already have it in your house. So... Uh, just go out there and try it. But imagine, you know, walking into a, a location and asking a question and getting an answer. And you can play the tape back and say, wait a minute, I know there was just me or maybe it was you and two other people or whatever. And you can say, I know that wasn't one of our voices and you can't account for it. Uh, I, I can't tell you what that is. I, 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 I'm, I'm not fully ready to, to say that's definitely a spirit. It's, it's something supernatural. Certainly, it's something well beyond our, our normal understanding of the world around us, and, and that alone deserves further study. Um, it, but it's all compelling evidence, and I think the evidence adds up when you add the experience, you know, the the, the research, even you know, electromagnetic field research, temperature fluctuation research, solar storms. What what are those doing when when this this phenomenon is occurring? All that evidence adds up, and you know it, it depends your your threshold for proof. But uh, I believe. I mean, I, I've, I've said that all along. I believed long ago, uh, long before even even before I could even spell EMF. I uh, I believed, but it's uh, it's certainly compelling stuff. As, as I like to say, back when EMF was just a band. That's right. <laughs> but now it's interesting because. You know, you run a website where it's kind of like a a, a central focus for for things uh, related to ghosts. And one thing that uh, has become very popular amongst the different paranormal groups, and and I understand running a website such as yours, uh, if you don't have the skill to do it, I mean, it's it's costly, it's time consuming. So a lot of these groups are popping up on MySpace because right. anybody can make a MySpace page. We, we have one ourselves, and there, there's a lot of these groups that join ours, and they post up their ghost photographs and, and the like. And doing what you do, running ghostvillage.com, how much does it bother you when there are, quote-unquote, 
photographic evidence that people copyright and won't release to other people to share that evidence that they have to keep on their site and you know non-transferable or any of that stuff. I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm I'm a writer. I, I understand. Um, you know, I don't think they're withholding it. They're just saying it's mine, and if you want to see it, you have to come here to see it. I don't I don't think that's wrong at all. Um, in fact, you know, I kind of applaud it. I I, I think uh, I think it's a problem when you know the, the web is such a wonderful thing. I'm a, I'm a huge fan, but it also brings up a lot of problems because, like you said, especially with places like MySpace, it's turned everyone into a publisher, mm-hmm. though they have no understanding of what what publishing entails. You know, steady content, well edited. You know, you've spell checked at the very least that kind of stuff. Uh, that that you're not lifting other people's graphics and photos and stuff like that. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's not get crazy. Yeah, right, right. That's pretty much how we run our blog by yeah, lifting right, other people's photos. In fact, we lifted your photos off your website. Oh, excellent, wonderful. Well, I mean, I just I bring it up because on ghostvillage.com, one of your contributors is Richard Senate. Yes. And Richard Senate was on our program uh, about a month, month and a half ago. Right. And he ripped into these groups that that copyright photographs and basically said, you know, you can't save evidence you can't hoard evidence to yourself if you're trying to prove the paranormal i mean does it make you think are people out here to try to solve this question or they out here to try to make themselves the next taps i you know i i maybe i'm misunderstanding your question but if if someone says we've got this amazing photo and you can't see it um that's one thing then first of all i say well how amazing is it uh but if it's just them saying it's on our site you can look at it every which way, but we don't want you to reproduce it all over the web. I, I don't think that's hoarding evidence. That's just saying this is our evidence and you're welcome to look at it. I think, I think we disagree uh, a little bit um, in terms of just making it available. Like, for example, uh, Matt Moniz, our science advisor, went right. to Waverly Hills down in Kentucky and captured um, video evidence of an apparition. Excellent. And he put it up on the web, and we basically told everybody, take it, dissect it, do whatever you want to it, just send us back whatever results you have from it. And sure. There, there are groups that when they put up a photograph, you say, well, you know, can I take it and blow it up and run it through this program? And they don't want you to do that. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, I mean... Uh, who you know? I think what's going to happen, cream always rises to the top in 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 any field in anything that you do, and the people that are consistently doing the work and and are publishing publishing their findings in books and magazines on websites uh, or on radio shows you know things like that you know it, it's just going to become evident who's who's really serious and who's making good contributions to this field and who's just you know, I don't know, trying to make a quick name for themselves, which isn't really possible, <laughs> you know. Well, there's no money to be made in this. I mean, anybody, uh, yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> anybody that's come on with us as a guest has always said, you know, the, the legitimate uh, paranormal investigators don't charge. That's right. And when you do charge, it's only if you're lucky enough to get speaking engagements or anything like that or, or be able to publish a book, and even then the money's not really that good. <laughs> that's uh, that's absolutely true. You, you absolutely have to love this. Uh, to be doing it, but and, and one of the problems too with charging, I know there's been great debates about it because some of the work that's done is, I mean, absolutely, it's it's absolutely work. You know, background research on properties and title searches on, on houses, things like that, stuff that's very time consuming. Um, and and I understand, and it's it's such a shame because you you kind of you'd like to charge because some people are very professional and, and provide it really quite a service when you think about it when you think about uh, some of the reports that some of these groups put together exactly, yeah yeah they're so thorough i mean 
you know, you'd be lucky to get like your your, your regular home inspector. You know, the people that you, <laughs> the you, guy call. you pay five thousand dollars to. Yeah, right. Those those people should be half as thorough uh, sometimes. You know, but uh, but at the same time, the problem is uh, there's no consumer protection. If if someone out there is a charlatan, and, and we know there are many a charlatan in this field, you know, um, the the people that will will charge you to come clear a house or, you know, give you psychic readings on the side or whatever they're they're trying to sell you, you know, in some way, shape, or form, or even religious relics. I know I know of people that have attempted that as well, saying you know, buy, buy this, put it in your house, it'll keep the ghosts away. Part of so, the problem, though, is is the cost of the equipment. Uh, yeah, you know the the higher end equipment that you need to do the thorough investigations is just very costly because a lot of it isn't designed for the purpose of ghost hunting. That's right. It's used for other aspects. So I think if there was maybe a, a government grant for legitimate groups that are incorporated and uh, you know have five hundred one c nonprofit status, and right. I, I think that if they could make that stuff more available. Uh, then it would make it easier for for groups to investigate. So you know, there's there's one one uh, group I know uh, in Rhode Island, uh, the Rhode Island. Oh boy, forgive me, Andy Laird, if I mess up the group. Your group's the Rhode name. Island Paranormal Research Group. Trips RG, right? I know he's told me that uh, when when people have offered him money after they've presented their findings or whatever, uh, he's he's told me that he uh, will say, you know what, if if you want to help us, he'll give them a list of equipment and say you could buy us one of these items and that would help. It's I think a great, that's pre- great approach. That, that's pretty classy. I think that's pretty classy, and and my hats off to Andy for uh, for coming up with that because then you're not taking cash and doing whatever with it. They're buying you something that your group will actually use, and and you know. And he said, you know, most people don't, but every once in a while, someone surprises them, and so so yeah, there you go. It, it's a it's kind of a compromise. If it, you know, and I and I don't think Andy solicits that. I believe it's only when when someone offers. Well, we're trying to get uh, Andy to come on with us because of their investigation of the Charles W. Morgan. Uh, we have uh, both Michael Farrell from Mystic Seaport and members of uh, the Rhode Island Paranormal Research Group. Hopefully, are going to come on with us sometime in August to talk about the follow-up investigation, the thorough investigation of the Charles W. Morgan, and talk with us about their findings. So, oh, very good. I don't know if you've heard anything yet about their which They just went back, I think, last Saturday. Oh, okay. No, I haven't. I, uh, I, I kind of owe Andy a call. I haven't talked to him in a little while, so... Um, yeah, no, that's I, I haven't I haven't heard what they've done there yet. Let them know we're looking for them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sure will. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back on the other side for a few minutes before the CBS News. We'll talk some more with Jeff Belanger. So uh, if you want to jump in on the conversation, please, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Post a question up on our message board, SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Here on WBSM, well, we got a little bit of time here before the CBS News. If you'd like to jump in with a question, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, online, SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, we welcome your questions for our guest this evening, Jeff Belanger, who, uh, if you haven't been to his site, please check it out, GhostVillage.com. Uh, Jeff, how'd you come up with that name? Believe it or not, the name came from a uh, an article I was working on. Um, there's a place in Connecticut called Dudleytown. I don't know if you're aware. 
the uh, Legend of Dudley Town? Uh, I've heard it, but why don't you tell the uh, listeners that may not have? It's a uh, well, it's a long story, but the quick recap is: uh, it's an abandoned village up in the hills of northwestern Connecticut near Cornwall, and it's had uh, quite a haunted reputation for decades now. Um, people, you know, claim to have seen all kinds of things in the woods and, and things like that. When you go there today, there's really nothing but some cellar holes of, uh, of where the Dudleys once lived. And there's, uh, there's rumors of a curse that goes all the way back to England on the Dudley name, uh, to the Dudleys that eventually settled in the area. And, um, and then, you know, there were suicides and people murdered and things like that, which is all true, but it, it happened over the span of a hundred years. So, you know, there's going to be these things in any town. But, uh, strong legend in Connecticut, and so I was up there uh, working on it, and that was one of the two articles that helped start ghostvillage.com. It was an abandoned village, and thus that was the, the name. And I also wanted wanted it to give a sense that it was a, a community. It was important for me to, to start not just a, an informational site, but an actual community, and thus the village part of it, you know, kind of like a, an actual destination that you go to, to learn about this, to interact with other people in the field and that kind of thing. That's what's interesting to us because we're trying to do something similar where, you know, we say we're the Spooky South Coast family, the Spooky South Coast community because we all work together. Actually, I think we have a call for you here before right. we get the news. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good, good. You? Oh, very well. I think you need to, I've always wanted to say this, I think you need to turn down your radio just a little bit. I'll step away. Okay. How's that? The, is this better? Oh, yes. Okay, you have, a, you have a question for Jeff? or? Yes. I used to live in a house in Somerville, and in the 19, late 1920s, early 1930s, a logging truck was coming through, and a log or a pole fell off the truck and rolled and crashed into the foundation, and it actually took out a little boy. Um, while I lived there, we had some strange occurrences. And one of my roommates actually saw a little boy in a very old baseball uniform. And we were informed by someone that for a specter or a ghost or something to enter the room, they have to count whatever's outside the room before they go. So we were told to hang a Ziploc bag full of sand in order, like on the door, that they would have to count them before it could enter. And after we did that, it kind of stopped. So I'm wondering, is there any truth behind this theory, or is it just to make us rest easy? <laughs> There's a lot of truth behind that theory, and I'll tell you why. Uh, because it's a ritual. It's ritual, and you believe it worked, and thus it worked. And I'm, I'm not saying you were taken or, or anything else, but um, it's the same thing when, when you have a, a, a priest or some other clergy come to your house to say a blessing because you might be having a haunting experience, and it stopped. Did it stop because the the priest has some magic power or did it stop because you believed it stopped or that the spirit believed it should go because there was some ritual involved um i i don't i don't know anyone who can answer those questions but i i think there's validity to any ritual that that one you know takes on in order to deal with with the ghost experience so sure, there's validity in that. I've heard of putting salt around the foundation or across the doorsteps or saying a prayer or having it sealed with holy water, if you believe that, or burning sage if, if one is uh, more inclined to, to witchcraft practices, things like that. Okay. Uh, what's that? I said okay. The, yeah, there's, there's no greater power than the power of suggestion. I mean, if you believe that it's, you know, that it's, 
going to put you at ease, and it'll put you at ease. I mean, it, 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 there is no cure for the paranormal. I mean, uh, the demonic, well, that's a different story. But there is no cure for the paranormal. There is no way to get these ghosts to, quote-unquote, go away. I mean, you're just making yourself at ease and making them at ease with you. Well, they never really bothered me anyway. I knew there was goings-on in the house. There would be knocking from in the eaves and stuff like that. The lights would go on suddenly or pictures would crash. But I've lived in haunted places before. never really bothered me. But one girl was particularly spooked. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a frightening experience for people who don't understand it, and you're lucky that you've had some experience with it. So you, you definitely have a different perspective. So thank you for sharing what, what your experience. I think that's so important to talk about it, and because I know there's other people out there listening that say, "Wow, actually, something similar happened to me." And I think it's great that we're talking about it more. And you know, thanks for coming on. And and we welcome their calls too. I mean, and thank you for sharing. And you know. It, it's nice that we can talk about this, uh, you know, in the open, and we're not out here to make fun of anybody. So we invite you to call in in the second hour because we're coming up on the news now. But if you want to call in in the second hour following the Week in Weird and share your stories, your your thoughts and theories, please do so. Uh, we are going to talk some more with Jeff about his different books that he's put out, about his latest book. And also we, we're going to talk to him a bit about nightmares because I suffer from those quite a bit, and I want to pick Jeff's brain about some of them. So. And maybe you have some you'd like to share, too. So 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Those are the numbers. Online, SpookySouthCoast.com. We will be right back after the CBS News. We will bring you our hour number two theme song. And then following that, the week in weird. So stay tuned to Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. Myself some mittens, and I'm stitching my fingers together to keep them warm inside. I'm knitting myself a sweater to cover the body I'm wearing. Knitting, 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 knitting. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible. Spooky South Coast is back. Spooktacular, spectacular, spectacular.
Welcome back. Hour number two of an action-packed spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Matt Costa manning the controls. Matt Moniz manning, I don't know, everything. What do you do here? Color commentary. Pretty much. No, are you kidding me? Could we do this show without Matt Moniz? You know how many times Matt Costa and I would be sitting here scratching our heads and saying, you know, we don't know. We don't know. Just about every show. Yeah. And, and really, just the wealth of information that you bring to the table. We are honored to have you here, and our listeners, I know, are very honored to be able to communicate with you as well. Well, I'm glad that you guys have allowed me the opportunity to be here. I mean, you guys are doing a great job. You're providing a valuable service to these people. I've got 20 years of doing this, and I can tell you that in those 20 years, very, very, very few programs have been around to put forth the evidence that's collected and you guys are doing a great job we're looking to be a little i mean not only because you know radio is kind of a a cutthroat business and you have to distinguish yourself and separate yourself from the other programs our goal here isn't to as i've said before in recent weeks not to promote ourselves really everything we do we do it out of pocket the station you know is generous enough to give us this time but you know we are not employees of the station we are just using their airwaves to get this message out and we're trying to give people what it is that they're missing. We're trying to be that missing link to help solve some of these mysteries. Maybe it's a little bit grandiose of an idea. Maybe it's uh, out of the realm of possibility for what one little rinky-dink radio show can do. But we're trying to do it, and, and we appreciate the help and the support we've gotten from everybody that, that has joined us. Uh, the other thing that makes this show different than other shows is other shows will talk about the paranormal. They'll bring in uh, experts and what have you. We actually go out into the field. Well, we try to. Well, as, as much as our busy schedules allow, and and as much as uh, I mean, Matt Moniz, you know, you have plenty of experience out there. Matt Cost and I, we're just a couple of hacks. I have no problem bringing you guys out with me. <laughs> I, like I said, Matt's crypto of the month being, you know, champ. I I want to do uh, an expedition to Lake Champlain. You want to go or what, Matt? I've he's got putting, spare he's diving you on the here. spot. Uh, I guess I'm game. All right. You're, game. you're actually going to dive underwater? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. That's all I know is what scuba stands for. Anyway, uh, that's, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to start a, a love fest here for Spooky South Coast. We just like to remind people every once in a while what it is that we're trying to do because I get so fervently believing in what it is that we're doing and these great guests that we have and the message that we're trying to bring people that sometimes I might throw the show down people's throats a little bit. It's not about us. It's about the guests. It's about the subject matter. It's about what we're talking about. And I'd like to think that already uh, through some of the people that we have, like on our message board and our MySpace, I think already we've given some people who didn't feel comfortable talking about this before an opportunity to express it. And we thank you all for joining us. We're just a vehicle. That's all we are. And speaking of vehicles, uh, let's give you our week and weird, where we are the vehicle for you to find out some news stories that may have gone unnoticed during the course of the last week. Okay, you want me to do it? Okay. Here it is, the week and weird. It is kind of a tradition now to do that. So. All right, our first story comes from NetworkWorld.com. Computer scientists have moved beyond figuring out how to beat computerized chess systems and are now tackling automated Texas Hold'em programs. 
Carnegie Mellon University researchers have created a robot that uses knowledge of game theory, not poker smarts, to beat online Texas Hold'em programs. The GS1 PokerBot, which makes decisions after analyzing poker rules, was created by Thomas... Uh, is that Tomas San, Sanholm, director of Carnegie Mellon's agent-mediated electronic marketplaces lab and graduate student Andrew Gilpin. Sanholm says the challenge of developing a poker robot is greater than that of trying to beat a computerized chess program because unlike chess, poker involves making decisions with incomplete information. So, you, you know, you know, what a, you know what pieces an opposing chess player has, but you don't know the hand of a competing poker player. An algorithm used to accommodate such uncertainties to play poker might have applications in e-commerce, such as in auctions, says Sanholm, who has done significant amounts of research on e-commerce. He is chairman and chief scientist of CombineNet, a company that helps large organizations save money and time on procurement. A new version of Sandholm's PokerBot, dubbed GS2, will partake, play, will, will partake in the computer poker competition during the National Conference on Artificial Intelligence, July 16th through the 20th in Boston. So Jonathan Comey, a local Fairhaven resident here and, and, and writer with the Standard Times, and visit his great website, jonathancomey.com. Uh, unbelievable. But uh, I hate to tell you, but you're going to get beat by a robot. I mean, as great as you are playing poker, you knew it was only a matter of time before a poker player would beat you. So, good luck with that. Matt Costa, why don't we throw it to you? Sure. Uh, starting next week, a real witch school will open in Illinois. Made famous as the sweet corn capital of the world, Hoopston, Illinois will be the home of a school for those, in, for those interested in learning the art of witchcraft, simply titled Witch School. After almost five years of existence on the Internet, which school is expected to operate in Hoopston and is dedicated to educating people in the Wiccan religion? The town is known primarily for its annual Sweet Corn Festival, its high school mascot known as the Corn Jerker, and then... Are you guys laughing? Sorry about that. All right. And the National Sweet Sweetheart Pageant, which has produced eight Miss America winners. Ed Hubbard, the school's founder and CEO says that an estimated 30 to 50 new students registering on the website daily, the school is rapidly growing. The school has roughly 120,000 active members who enroll in the Witch School's internet courses, which range from Druid and Celtic history to, to Crystal and Gem Magic. When Witch School finally opens its doors to the public on July 10th, Hubbard says he won't expect a flood of visitors, though he feels it will be a step towards acceptance. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, if they study hard enough, one of these new witches can come up with a spell that will keep Matt Costa from jerking his corn. <laughs> Matt Moniz, why don't you there's, tell us? There's about... no spell strong enough. <laughs> you know what happens, uh, uh, Mr. Sasquatch? You get hairy palms from, you know, anyway. <sighs> Good thing it's after 10 o'clock at night. Oh, yeah. Matt Moniz, why don't you share with us a, an interesting story about uh, the wonders of the brain? Yeah, this story comes to us from the Associated Press. Uh, doctors have proof that a man's brain rewired itself after a car crash. Doctors have their first proof that a man who was barely conscious for nearly 20 years regained speech and movement because his brain spontaneously rewired itself by growing tiny new nerve connections to replace the ones uh, sheared apart in a car crash. Terry Wallace, 42, is one of the few people known to have recovered so dramatically after a long and serious brain injury. 
He still needs help eating and can't talk, but his speech continues to improve and he can count to 25 without interruptions. Wallace's suddenly recovered, sudden recovery, sorry, happened three years ago at a rehabilitation center in uh, Mountain View, uh, Arkansas. Doctors said that the same cannot be hoped for people in a persistent vegetative state, such as the uh, Terry Schiavo case in uh, Florida. Uh, The woman died last year after a fierce right-to-die court battle. Nor do they know how to make others with less serious brain damage, like Wallace, recover. He still thinks Ronald Reagan is president, his father Jerry said in a statement, adding that until recently his son insisted he was 20 years old. Wallace was 19 when he suffered a traumatic brain injury that left him briefly in a coma and then in a minimally conscious state, which he was awake but uncommunicative, other than the occasional nods, grunts uh, for more than 19 years. Uh, Nerve cells that have not died can form new connections. For example, nerves in the arms and legs can grow about an inch a month after they have been severed or damaged. However, this happens far less often in the brain. New research suggests that instead of sudden recovery, Wallace seemed to make his recovery when he began speaking and moving over three years ago. He actually may have been slowly recovering for a long time as the nerves in his brain form new connections at uh, basically a glacial pace until enough were present to make the network come back to life. Well, it gives us hope then for uh, some people like myself that are already brain dead that maybe uh, there's still a chance that some of it can can meld back together. Matt Koss, you have another story for us. Yes. A lovable, a lovable car with a mind of its own that can drive by itself is now a reality. The German car giant Volkswagen has unveiled a fully automatic car that can really drive itself and at up to speeds of 150 miles per hour. The remarkable car is, is the VW Golf GTI 53, codenamed after the number 53, which Herbie the Love Bug carried when racing on the big screen adventures. The GTI uses radar and lasers to read the road and a satellite navigation system that tracks its exact position. The computer calculates where and at what speeds the GTI has clearance between cones, and the GPS satellite enables navigation to within less than an inch. The prototype was developed initially to help Volkswagen engineers to test their vehicles, but in the age of Big Brother and computers increasingly taking responsibility away from the driver, with electronic speed limiters, collision avoidance systems, cruise control, satellite navigation, and pay-as-you-drive road tolling, the self-driving robot car is not such a distant prospect. Vidal, baby. <laughs> yeah, German engineering. Perfect, Nukem. Uh, kind of reminds me of, well, I've got a um, patent that I've got going on for an automobile. I don't know if I shared this with you, Tim. You, you've mentioned it before. I don't think you've mentioned it on the air. Well, okay. Is that something you want to keep well, since for now? Or? Well, I'm, I might be able to mention it uh, because I've already got the patent application going through with patent attorney. I've got a way to make a car run on water. Uh, since I work in scientific field, I'm aware of certain equipment that allows you to convert water into hydrogen, and I've made it up these systems together in the process of 
trying to get it out now on the market. Now, there's only one problem now. When you leave here, there's going to be a firing squad hired by the car manufacturers and the oil companies that are going to take you out. <laughs> you know the army I've got at my disposal. So, luckily he does, it's just like in the movies, you know. If something should happen to me, these plans will end up in the hands of, you know, somebody much more powerful than us. One more quick Week and Weird story for you. And we just talked about EVPs earlier with Jeff Belanger. We'll be right back into the conversation with Jeff in just a moment. But from the Edmonton Sun, a veteran city cop is convinced the voice of a murdered prostitute named Rachel Quinney was picked up on an audio recording as she spoke from beyond the grave. I saw it, I heard it, I believe, said Constable Wayne Fermaniak, who on June 26th accompanied a psychic to the spot where Quinney's body was discovered. If the psychic was a phony, I wanted to expose him, but he's got me. I'm convinced. Fermaniak, a 25-year veteran of the Edmonton Police Service, was among a small group of people who ventured to the spot in Strathcona County where the body of a 19-year-old Quinney was found on June 11, 2004. Also there were Rachel's mother... Delia Quinney, and one of Rachel's sisters. They were led by psychic and spiritual medium Alan Hatfield from Pictou Landing First Nation in Nova Scotia. Along with voices of Fermoniak uh, and Quinney's mother and sister who were all present, Rachel's voice could be heard on the tape's playback that they made at the site. It was clear and came in between other dialogue, he said, which of course is you know basically how most EVPs work. Rachel came on and her grandmom and granddad, who are Delia's mom and dad, they came on too. So it was a whole family of EVPs. Hatfield said he also captured images of, quote, spiritual energies flittering about the site. Neither Hatfield nor Femania could reveal what they heard Rachel say on the recorded audio of the approximately hour-long session, saying it could jeopardize the police investigation into her unsolved death. But Hatfield did say that Rachel talked about her murder. She's very angry, very angry. She's a fighter. She didn't go down easy. She fought all the way. So there you go. A little bit of uh, information here about this very interesting case. Now, uh, during a half-hour session last summer, uh, Hatfield was uh, being interviewed about the case, and he claims a male spirit was captured on the tape saying the word Tom. And uh, in May of this year, 38-year-old Thomas Savakla was charged in the murder of another sex trade worker whose body was found in a Fort Saskatchewan home. So it's very strange uh, paranormal surroundings around this case. Maybe voices from the other side trying to solve it. Speaking of voices from the other side, on the other side of this break, you'll hear the voice of Jeff Belanger, who's going to talk to us more about ghostvillage.com, some of the books he's put out, and we're going to get into the discussion about not only nightmares, but hey... How about we talk about the Amityville Heart? So stay tuned here on Spooky South Coast. My fellow Americans, I would once again like to say that I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I did, however, go to SpookySouthCoast.com. Do like I do. I hate, I hate that guy. I hate that guy. I'm glad that he goes to SpookySouthCoast.com, but whenever I try to illegally download music, I always have to hear his voice. <laughs> that is not former President Clinton. Although I'm, I'm sure he probably is a pretty big Spooky South Coast fan. If not, you know, somebody else will have to make him aware. Speaking of uh, 
illegally downloading things. Uh, we talked earlier about stealing pictures of Jeff Belanger off his own website, ghostvillage.com, which we highly recommend you go to. And hopefully Jeff has stuck with us during the week in Weird, and he's, he's still on the line. Jeff, are you there? I'm here. Okay. No no big World Cup celebrations. No, no, no. Not yet. I was, uh, <laughs> sorry. I, uh, I also coach a soccer team, so I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of the sport when really? you called earlier tonight. What, what level... Uh... What level do you coach at? Actually, I coach a, a girls uh, U12, which is uh, 11 and 12 year old girls. And in fact, just uh, two weeks ago, we became the state champions of Massachusetts. So oh, the MTOC, you guys were up there. That's right. We were there, and we won the whole thing over in, uh, at UMass Amherst. So very exciting times. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. We had uh, locally here, not the, to get on the sports wrap here, but uh, locally we had uh, Dartmouth, a uh, local town here, had four state champions. Oh, wow. That's yeah, excellent. It's very impressive. So anyway, we'll get off the soccer. And back to the hauntings. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, you, you uh, sent us a copy of your new book, Our Haunted Lives, True Life Ghost Encounters. And you can pick that up on Jeff's site and, of course, on Amazon.com, right? Uh, actually, yeah, Amazon has it as pre-order right now, but uh, okay. if it's supposed to be changing in a matter of days. But it's also, I, I, it's in my local Barnes & Noble now, so I know Barnes & Noble has it and Borders has it. So, And and I was reading through the, the book, and of course, uh, right at the beginning, you started off on a, on a terrific note. You have one of the last interviews that George Lutz, uh, owner, you know, one-time owner of the Amityville House, uh, gave before he passed on, uh, what was it, in March or April? Uh, it was May of this year, actually. Yeah. And uh, so you, you got a chance to speak with him. And we had somebody uh, on our message board, Michael, uh, an avid listener, wanted to know, uh, because you had that chance to speak with George, George Lutz, did that change your thoughts on the haunting? I mean, do you think that the, Lutz, the Lutzes and their claims are credible? We, I spoke to George Lutz on multiple occasions for many hours, uh, a long time. Basically, I, you know, it, it, that story is such a, it's an American haunting. I mean, it's, it's one of the, the great American ghost legends. Uh, one of the great ghost legends of the world. That one really, that one captivated the whole world for a, for a period of time. We know there's been a number of movies made, made about it, a number of books. Some saying, you know, it's real. Some saying it's fake. Uh, I wanted to just go to the source. You know, I said, all right, I want to talk to this guy. I want to find out everything. And I, must have caught him in a really good frame of mind because we spoke about everything that happened to him from about two months before they even knew they were looking for a house right up until, uh, you know, right up until the most recent movie, which was last year. Like, he filled me in on his entire life, how, how it's affected him. And I'll tell you this, the real story is nowhere near uh, as, as over the top as Hollywood has portrayed it in any of the movies. And not as over the top as it was even portrayed in Jay Anson's book, which is which was the original Amityville horror book. I was going to say Jay Anson's pretty much credited as, or and you know given the uh, the blame for putting it over the top for taking these actual events and making it into this Hollywoodized version of of what people accept as fact. Right, but I, w- I will also say that uh, when he talks about the things that did occur in that house, it's it's. Pretty profound. I mean, it's it's um, it's something. You know, you know. I I don't know. I wasn't there. I couldn't say if if he's a fraud or not. I can tell you, it's been nothing but problems for him. He's been involved in thirteen lawsuits, which basically revolves around. And this is thirteen lawsuits in the span of thirty years. So, you know, you can you can do the math. He's was basically always involved in some lawsuit or another, mm-hmm. including uh, MGM, who put out the most. Um, the most recent movie uh, last year, which was 
horrible. It was, yeah, I, don't know. I was going to say, I'm going to sue MGM, try to get my $7 back. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, want, I just want two hours of my life back, you know. It, it was uh, that one, you know, when, when they say based on a true story, you know, there's a whole lot of liberty in that statement. You know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> but I can tell you that, you know, everything's based on a true story somewhere. Well, we, we did we did an entire two-hour program about the recent film in American Haunting. And oh, how, yeah. How very loosely based it was on the true story. Of, of course. And, and you know, hey, and I'm, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that if, if you tell a good story, you know, and, and they didn't even do that. So, um, but it, it must be weird. Imagine... You know, you're George Lutz, and you're seeing yourself portrayed on the on TV and uh, or on the on the movie, doing all kinds of things that you never did do, never would do. You know, all but it's your name, it's you, and the guy was even made up to look sort of like you looked back then. You know, I mean, it's it's got to be a very frustrating thing. Uh, and, and one example he spoke of very particularly was that uh, in the movie he uh, George the character George Lutz in the most recent movie hacks his dog up with an axe. He's like, you know, George Lutz, the real man, said, I loved my dog. He yeah, came, he exactly. moved with us. You know, he said, that dog was, was with me until he passed away of old age. And he said, I, I wouldn't hurt that dog ever, you know. Or any dog, for that matter. That's right, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, animal lovers, how people feel about their pets, that's the last thing in the world they'd do. And that's how he, and he loved his dog, without any doubt. One of the interesting things that you, that you brought about uh, with George in the interview was, he talks about how it wasn't the family that actually went public with this at first. It was the, I mean, when they started, when it started to leak out a little bit, they didn't want to have a big press conference to talk about this. That it was actually uh, Ronald DeFeo's lawyers. Right. That I, I'm assuming that they saw an opportunity to try to blame the house instead of DeFeo, and they tried to seize that as a chance. Say, look at what's happening to this family. See, it wasn't it wasn't Butcher's fault. Right. You know. George Lutz claims, and, and also I, I spoke to Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were very involved in the investigation back in, you know, back in the 19, 1975. Um, I, I spoke to all of them about the case. And uh, George Lutz and the Warrens believe there was something absolutely demonic in a very big way going on in that house. Now, whether there was or wasn't, whether the perception was that there was something going on, I don't know. I can tell you that... Um, George Lutz was very calm about it. He explained everything that he experienced, and I tried to just capture that. And one of the reasons that I, I wrote this book the way I did is it's uh, it's an interview format. It's I wanted you to hear their voices. I think that's very important because when when writing about the supernatural, it often falls victim to sensationalism. You know, people take all kinds of liberty to try to set the tone when they're trying to tell a ghost story, and I wanted to remove all that. I wanted to remove. Everything but the words of the people speaking, and you, you'll notice um, in the book, my my questions are just in italics. They're few and far between. I just tried to ask the questions that I think readers would ask, anybody would have, if if you got to get George Lutz one on one and ask him about Amityville, and uh, and also you know if you're going to tackle a story like Amityville, you have to bring something new to it. And what I wanted to bring to it was just asking George Lutz everything about it, how it affected him, how, how he gained from it, not you know how he lost from it. You know, I wanted to understand all that. You know, where did you cash in? And uh, it sounds like for the most part he did not cash in. <laughs> you know, he, he actually he, lost money on the deal. That's right, he did. And, and 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 maybe he thought he was going to make money at one point. Um, you know, selling the story, watching it turn into movies, but. 
Um, I mean, I, I know a little bit about book contracts, having signed a few along the way, and I can understand how, uh, you know, rights to, to tell a story and film and things like that can can quickly get gobbled up by publishers, by agents, by all kinds of people in between, um, you know, in the whole process. So. <laughs> It, it's really it's it's in a really compelling story though. I mean, everyone knows Amityville. Everyone knows that one, and I'm I'm just glad I got to talk to him before he uh, he passed away. Rather untimely too. He was he wasn't that old. He was in I believe he was 64 years old. Uh, please don't quote me on that, but I, he he was in his early 60s of when course, he passed once, away. I'm sorry. Once the 3D movie comes out, I mean, it's pretty much uh, your story's pretty much done. Yeah, they make right. a 3D version of it, but that's right. There was a 3D Amityville, and, and one thing too, like you said, you tried to have a conversation with these people, and in your introduction, you mentioned that this book is not this book, uh, Our Haunted Lives. It's not really a, a book in terms of you know you're telling their story, recounting their story. It really is, as you said in the intro, like you're sitting down on the couch and they're just chilling on a Saturday morning in their sweatpants. Yeah, that, well, that that's really what I tried to do with with all these conversations because. If someone's going to share something this personal with you, I mean, they have to be comfortable. And so, I, I mean, I work hard at, at establishing rapport with, with everyone that I speak to, with everyone that I interview, because I want them to be comfortable because they're placing a great deal of trust in me that I'm not going to make them look like a fool, um, which I, I, I never would. That's not my style whatsoever anyway. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of trust there. And, and I really respect and appreciate that trust that I got from really – dozens of people that, that helped uh, come together to, to make this book possible, including George Lutz. Just the, the, the rapport we built up, the way he talked to me, because he was comfortable, because I wanted to listen. I had questions that, uh, you know, I had questions about, well, what did you do when this happened? What did you do when, you know, the house started getting bad? How did you know it was time to leave? You know, things like that. I, I just, I'd never heard anyone ask before, and, and to me, those are just the obvious ones. Now, do you think you could have written this book uh, earlier in your career, or is this the compassion uh, for these people and the understanding of what they're going through, the ability to put them at ease? Is that something that you've just developed over time investigating the paranormal? I've definitely developed it, but, you know, I mean, as a reporter, quick rapport is is critical if you're going to get people to open up and talk about anything, whether it's a town meeting or, or, you know, a crime scene or, or anything in between, and years now of doing this work and interviewing well over a thousand people easily from all over the world from all walks of life um, I'm very comfortable talking to people I, I love people I love conversing with them I love talking in groups and I love exploring these subjects and uh, I often use humor to try to disarm the situation I recognize people feel a little weird about it I always tell paranormal investigators you know when you're going out on, a, on an investigation and you're talking to someone who is an eyewitness you know, don't open up with, well, what did you see? What were you wearing? What, what Did you drink anything that day? Open up with, how are you? <laughs> how are you today? How about the Red Sox? You know, how are they doing? You know, ask them about the sports team. Talk to them like people because that's what they are. Mm-hmm. That's what you are. You're just people talking. Get comfortable. Don't Don't start with the tough questions. Let them know that you're a human being, too, and you're there to listen well, because... Yeah, I mean, you know, if if if, if the information doesn't come across, you, you just don't have much. It's important to humanize what happened to them, to them, because they haven't humanized it themselves yet. They haven't quite understood that, you know, in their mind, they're thinking, oh, my God, what's wrong with me that I'm seeing these things or experiencing these things? And they have not realized yet that they are still the same person that they were before they had that sighting. Right, that's right. And, and 
I, I really hope that, that people who read this will, I mean, not only see a whole side of the world, that's, that's, see a phenomenon that's happening to millions of people, but they'll probably see things that uh, they may have experienced themselves. They may say, wow, you know what, that's, that's kind of happened to me. And that's why I think it's so important to, to have the discussion, the discussion, the discussion. Just keep talking about this. Make it not so weird. That's what's great, that there's so many paranormal, uh, not just radio shows, but paranormal TV shows like TAPS, like uh, you know Medium, and, and even the psychic shows, all that stuff, because it gets people talking about it at the office by the water cooler, you know, saying, boy, what a weird show last night. But you know what? Actually, something like that happened to me once, and it's an entree for the discussion. So... I'm a big fan of all that because it's it's uh, it's I think it's affecting some change, which is wonderful. Absolutely, we're gonna we're gonna take our final break of the show, and uh, on the other side, we'll be back with more from Jeff Belanger. You can check out ghostvillage.com if you'd like to sneak a peek at some of the stuff that he does there. It's great articles. I mean, uh, you, you must be on the phone constantly with people. <laughs> Pretty much. And just really a wealth of information uh, written in a, in a very, very well-developed style where, you know, you can understand that Jeff is very serious about this, but at the same time he's not so serious about it that it makes people even more uncomfortable because there's nothing worse than reading the, the ranting ravings of a lunatic mind. Which, <laughs> or uh, mine. <laughs> You're right. Which I've been accused of from time to time. So anyway, we'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Crystal Expectations is an extraordinary experience. Crystal Expectations has books, jewelry, candles, incense, oils, CDs, tarot decks, religious and fantasy statues, and cultural items from around the world. Crystal Expectations offers a wide variety of services, including Reiki, Kuan Yin, magnified healing, and meditation. Do you want to find out the influences in your life and what the future holds for you? Call to schedule a tarot or Hindu astrology reading. Crystal Expectations knowledge Knowledgeable staff has over 40 years experience in a wide variety of spiritual disciplines. They can provide instruction in spiritual cleansing for yourself and techniques to reduce negative influences in your life. Crystal Expectations is located 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford, serving those interested in the paranormal and spiritual for over 18 years. 508-990-7898 or visit crystalexpectations.net. You can also email them at crystalx at Verizon. Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSM into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. be part of my nightmares, man. Let me tell you. I, I have these very disturbing ones, and I wake up, and I try to tell my wife about them, and I get about two sentences in, and she's like, just stop. It's just, it's too weird. So, but I, I would love to pick Jeff's brain about nightmares, and we'll do that in just a few moments. I just want to let everybody uh, aware of one little thing. We were talking with Jeff Belanger earlier about Dudleytown, uh, which is, as he said, part of the inspiration for the title of his website, ghostvillage.com. And as we were discussing it, our loyal listener and chat moderator and Eagles Angel uh, posted up some pics on our message board from when she went to visit Dudleytown. So you can check those out. Go to SpookySouthCoast.com, 
click on the message board uh, under the live chat room for tonight. Uh, she has a thread there with the Dudley Town pictures, so please check them out. And uh, we thank you for that. We know that you are listening. Jeff, uh, when you put together the, uh, the Nightmare Encyclopedia, uh, what was the thought process behind that? Because nightmares are kind of subjective. How can you put together an encyclopedia on them? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was the challenge for sure. It, it's it's kind of a, a look at nightmares, not just uh, not just the the symbols and meanings, but also a look at how they've affected pop culture, music, art, movies, literature, all of that. Uh, how they how they've affected our lives. They're they're really uh, uh, profound, and there's a lot of paranormal happening when we sleep and when we dream. And that's probably what got me started along that road. Uh, are you familiar with like old hag syndrome? Oh yes. Yeah, well, it, you know, these are our paranormal events. Uh, sometimes people believe they're being visited in dreams or while they're sleeping. Now, those, those of course, are tough even for the witness um, to say, well, was I really visited or was it just a really, you know, powerful dream? Uh, it's, it's tough to tell. But there's a lot going on when we sleep and when we dream that science doesn't really fully understand yet. Um, so I kind of wanted to explore that. And you're right. You can't you can't catalog every nightmare, but what you can do is look for prominent symbols. So, if you've got the nightmare where you're you're running down the street from a an axe wielding maniac wearing a clown suit who's throwing eggs at you, you know that's just not in there. <laughs> but what we can look at is the uh, the axe. We can look at the the clown and and put it into the context of the environment, and of course the most important thing, which is the context of the dreamer's life. Uh, one one thing that I do want to touch upon is the origin of the term nightmare. Uh, in your research, where where have you found that that comes about? Well, you know, the old night horse, right, is one. Um, the uh, the etymology of the word is actually it's it's pretty interesting. Here, uh, it's um, a nocturnal, obviously, is the the night part of it. Um, but mare is also a, another word for kind of like a demon or monster. So. It's uh, it's it's the things that we remember, you know, while we're dreaming, the the ones that that wake us up in a in a cold sweat, and, and one of the things I think is so impressive about nightmares is we dream all the time. We all do it. We may not remember all our dreams, but we are all dreaming. But we remember the nightmares. I mean, isn't that amazing? I mean, I can recall nightmares I had when I was ten years old. I remember the the imagery of them and everything, but I couldn't tell you what I dreamt two weeks ago. So it's uh, there's something going on, and it's an important message. And I think even at the most fundamental, non-New Agey level, uh, dreams and nightmares are a way of ourselves communicating with ourselves. It's a way to to work on problems, to work on issues, and to uh, to discover more meaning in our own lives. And nightmares, I think, above all others, are uh, you know, if dreams are a message, then nightmares are a really important message, one that one that deserves attention. So Tim, if you want to, if you want to lay one on me, I'll, I'll do my best to, uh, <laughs> to well, help uh, talk you through one. Where to begin? Where to begin? I mean, I remember some of my most earliest, uh, most vivid memories are nightmares. I used to wake up uh, in the middle of the night with uh, what I have found in my research to be called night visitor syndrome. Yep. You wake up and you insist that there's somebody in the house or something in the house, and a lot of my dreams have always been centering around. Um, 
places that I couldn't go, uh, whether it be uh, quite frequently, uh, and this is well before I started doing the show for anybody that would equate it to it being in my thought process all the time, but uh, quite often I would dream that I'm in a house, a strange house, but it would be my family's house nonetheless, even though one unfamiliar to me, and there would be certain rooms or areas of that house that I couldn't go because I knew that it was haunted and that that was the one part I couldn't go. Is this something that other people have, have shared, that they've had... You know, just a dream that they're they're in a place where they shouldn't be, a place where they can't go? This is actually, this can be picked apart. Now, let me first say that I always think that the, the best person to interpret a dream is always going to be the dreamer. So what I can do is just help you through some of the basic symbols. Now, a house, a house is an interesting symbol. Any house uh, often represents the, yourself and the people closest to you, like your family. And it's interesting that you said you're in a strange house, and you're, but you know it's your family's house. You know, you know, you somehow belong there, even though you don't recognize it. And there's parts of that house where you can't go. Now, you certainly don't have to answer this on the air, but uh, I would look to those closest to you, to your wife, to your to your parents, to your your siblings, things like that. Um, are, are you having? Are they having some issue with you getting into the paranormal? Um, it, it, could that be part of it? Are, is it something where you might be feeling uncomfortable about discussing it with them? That kind of thing. And the, the rooms that you just can't get to. There's always these unattainable things in our lives. There's goals that we're, we're always trying to reach. So the rooms that you can't get to because they're haunted. So there's something frightening. There's something unknown in those rooms. Um, you know, that's. I would look close to home for that. What what area are you afraid to go into? What realm are you afraid to go into within your own life? And those and these are questions I can't possibly answer for you. But those that's the line of thinking uh, when it comes to kind of picking apart some of these dreams. And of course, the best way to uh, to understand them too is to keep a dream dream journal and document them and start looking for correlations. What's going on in your life when you have these dreams, especially if you're having recurring dreams and especially, super especially, if you're having recurring nightmares. When are they occurring? What's going on in your life? Uh, what what does the symbols represent in your life? You know, what what is your house? What does Tim's house mean? You know, Jeff's house is going to look different than Tim's. It's going to mean different things, but what does your house mean? And that's what you have to, that's that's your job to understand. That was one thing that always grabbed me, too, is the fact that the house has always changed. And I did move a lot growing up uh, because, you know, we, there's five kids in my family that was always expanding. So we were uh, constantly moving around, and it just seemed to me like it was, I couldn't find a, a, a home. I couldn't find a place that was something I would identify with. And to look at it, as the house representing myself, it, it does all tie in together. Hmm. Uh, one thing that Witness I always... protection can be tough, though, Tim. I know. I, <laughs> that's really you know. It's <laughs> funny because I, I people I tell people I moved around. They're like, "Oh, are your family in the military?" No, they just kept having more kids. Yeah, right. It, it was just Catholic, right? Uh, no, actually. That, oh my goodness! What'd you say, Matt? Circus. Yeah. Oh, fair right. enough. So, uh, and then another dream uh, that's re- recurrent and, and myself is, you know, as you spoke of before, constantly being chased yep. uh, from, uh, I was sometimes chased by familiar imagery, uh, you know, like a, maybe a television character, uh, and then other times I was actually chased by other family members. Uh, is this something that, does, does it matter who's doing the chasing or is the chasing itself what's important? Absolutely. No, it, it definitely matters uh, who's doing the chasing. Being chased, I think we've all had that, that nightmare. 
Um, sometimes you're being chased by something you, you don't even know, and you don't even know why you're running. You just know you should be running because something's chasing you. But uh, if you're being chased by a family member, uh, why are you trying to get away from that person? Now, it, it doesn't mean that you, you hate that family member. It could just mean that there's one issue that you're running from with, when dealing with that person. Um, it, but you, you're clearly trying to put some distance between yourself and that family member. And so, again, look at the issue. If it's a person on television, well, you know, again, you're going to have to figure out what that person on television represents. Or if it's just some nondescript monster, what's the monster? Is the monster, you know, something in your personal life, some habit you're trying to kick that you just can't seem to get away from? And, again, I couldn't answer that for you, but these are, this, is, this is how we, you know, decode your, your dreams because the language of the mind is imagery and, and sensory experiences, sounds, sometimes even smells. And, you know, your, your brain just can't say to you, you know, Tim, uh, I think it's, it's time to quit smoking. Not, not that I know if you smoke or not, but or it, it's time to, uh, you know, eat lighter foods uh, at lunchtime, that kind of thing. Um, it, it's it's uh, it's it's got to work with images because that's that's all it has. So it's important to pay attention. Well, one final question on the nightmare front: How much of what we have as dreams and nightmares do we need to be concerned about? I mean, does it have to be a recurring theme or a recurring dream to really be something that is reflective? I mean, is it possible that sometimes it's just you know neurons firing off and and we don't really need to piece it all together? Absolutely. I mean, dreams Dreams can also just be recreational. They can just be fun, you know, just exploring some kind of dreamscape. And, uh, yeah, I think they always have meaning. It's just sometimes the meaning is absolutely trivial, you know. It is, is, is very little, and there's not much stock to put into it. But, again, if you keep a dream journal, you can start looking for correlations. Uh, you know, even positive dreams are worth noting. You know, if you have dreams that you're flying, that's a great sign. That means you're feeling very empowered in your life, that you're feeling above it all. Uh, that, that's a great thing. Dreams that you're falling, you know, mean the opposite. Mean that you're you're you're, you're feeling like uh, out of control in, in some aspect of your life. It could be career, it could be a friendship, it could be you know a relationship, that kind of thing. What about the uh, the old adage that it's okay to fall in a dream as long as you don't hit the ground? Yeah, that's that's not true. Uh, that's that's a that's a that's folklore that you'll if you hit the ground in a dream you'll die. Um, we know that only because people have come forward and claimed to have hit the bottom and, and not died. They, they live to tell about it. So, um, but but that's certainly a that's a that's a great old story, isn't it? And and, and even me saying that, you still don't know for sure. <laughs> when you find yourself falling in a dream, you might say, "Whoa, wait a minute! I gotta wake up." <laughs> and, and I'll just leave that with the uh, the great Harvey Keitel line from uh, Reservoir Dogs: "If you shoot me in a dream, you better wake up and apologize." That's right. <laughs> So, Thank you, Harvey. <laughs> so uh, why don't we just quickly run down. Uh, if, if you would like to find out more about nightmares, uh, you can check out Jeff's book, The Nightmare Encyclopedia. Um, sorry, I don't have the name of the person that you co-wrote the book with. Oh, it's uh, Kirsten Daly. And is that uh, someone who is a, a journalist or a dream expert? or? Yeah, she's, she's, a, she's a researcher and, uh, and was my, my co-author on this project, so it's great to work with her. And, of course, you also have authored The World's Most Haunted Places, Communicating with the Dead, and The Encyclopedia of Haunted Places, in addition to your latest book, Our Haunted Lives, True Life Ghost Encounters. Uh, do you have anything on tap, anything in the works for the future? Well, yeah, I've got a book coming out in September, actually, called Ghosts of War, which is a, a look at haunted battlefields around the world and uh, haunted battle sites, not just fields, but also ships and airplanes and that kind of thing. So, uh, it's, again, very much tied to history, uh, a, a closer examination of history than I've done in the past. So that was a 
that was a grueling project research-wise, but also a lot of fun, too. Of course, you can keep up to date with everything going on with Jeff Belanger on ghostvillage.com. You can also talk about all things related to hauntings and ghosts. And uh, we'll have to have you back in the future, Jeff, for sure. Definitely, yeah, definitely when the new book comes out. And also, uh, you know, we need to get more into the nightmares and dreams, and we need to have just a whole show based on that. Sure, I'd love to. It would be my pleasure. It was fun being with you guys tonight. Oh, it's great having you. And, and of course, you're welcome back anytime. Our phone line is always open for you. Thanks, and I hope you have a spot on your couch for me if uh, I ever need to sleep over and maybe stay a few weeks, you know. Hey, feel free. And every time I wake up and have a dream, I'll tell you. That's right. You can just come right over. Because <laughs> she's tired of hearing it. Oh, very good. She, oh, she just wants to have me committed. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's sometimes that's uh, that's an option, you know, Tim. Hey, at least I'll get some rest and, there her, you go. and her as well. <laughs> that's right. All right, thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, we'll be talking to you. Thank you. Take care. You too. And and for everybody that would like to uh, get in touch with Jeff, you can go to his website, ghostvillage.com, and shoot him an email. He ha- you know, he's very. Very good about talking to all the people on his website. He's also on the message boards there. Uh, if you'd like to pick his brain, you didn't get a chance to speak with him tonight. And uh, so, I'm sorry. Definitely a well-planned out website. I was checking it out earlier. Un- unbelievable. I mean, just the web design skills alone that must go into creating that site. Ghostvillage.com is the name of it. And, of course, anybody who is worth their salt as a paranormal researcher, paranormal investigator, or just somebody that has a serious interest in the paranormal, it's one of their bookmarked sites on their computer. Speaking of which, SpookySouthCoast.com is your place to go to all week long where you can download the show in case you missed any portion of it, where you can talk to us, you can email us. We're on the message boards all week. You can get in touch with us. We're very accessible uh, to help you out with any problems you might have in relation to the paranormal. We can put you in touch with the right people. And that's also where you'll find out whoever we're going to have on as next week's guest, too. So we've got some things in the works, so stay tuned to the message board and the blog there as well. Well, then, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We invite you all to stay spooktacular, everybody. Have a good night, and we will see you here next week. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. and start at your convenience.